Welcome to God Signs with J.R. Bucklew, President and CEO of Deaf Bible Society. This is a ministry dedicated to translating the complete Bible into every signed language on earth so that deaf people around the globe will be able to see it presented on video and thus to understand it more natively and more completely than they could understand it in a written or spoken language because their sign language is their thinking language, their heart language. I'm Marshall Lawrence, and now here's J.R. Bucklew to open God's Word for us. Well, our scripture for today comes to us from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, starting in verse 1. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Again, that's from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, many, many of you have probably heard this passage countless times. You've heard people talk about this in terms of ministry. And uh, I was thinking about this scripture today as I was preparing for uh, the guests that we're going to have on the program and thinking about what does it mean to be a pastor? Uh, we've talked several times in the past, uh, many of you have heard, again, as we think about the deaf community here in the United States, a very largely unengaged community. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't anybody doing anything. There are some very dedicated, some very <laughs> exhausted people out there today who have been pouring their lives out, pouring their lives out for the sake of the gospel being made known to deaf people. But when we think about deaf ministry in comparing that to other ministry that's taking place in the United States or for English-speaking people, even minority languages in the United States, the amount of work that's taking place in the among, among the deaf, I mean, it pales in comparison. There's just absolutely no way to even measure them side by side. And, and you know, we, we've talked about some of the challenges. It's not just a language uh, hurdle that you're overcoming. It's not enough to simply provide interpretation in a service. We've talked about this before. Why do we not always consider... Uh, an interpreter at the nine o'clock service, just flat out deaf ministry. Uh, you know, I've shared. I was I was at a major conference, uh, a missions conference that had pastors, missions leaders from the top fifty churches in their denomination gathered, and I asked the question. I said, "Okay, how many of you have a deaf ministry?" And a few few guys raised their hand. I said, "Okay, well, well, you, Pastor A, um, what does that look like?" And I said, well, we have an interpreter at the 9 o'clock service. Well, what, what else are you doing? Well, that's it. We have an interpreter at the 9 o'clock service. I said, okay. You, 
Pastor B, what, what does your church do? Well, we have an interpreter at our Saturday service at 6 o'clock. Okay. Now, don't, don't hear me say that that's not good, because that is a very good thing. But there is a difference in that and in full ministry, as we even read here in 2 Timothy 4. What we would call that, myself, J.R., um, what our organization, the Deaf Bible Society, would consider what they're doing is, is accessibility ministry. They're providing the deaf community access, albeit not full access. There's a challenge when you're doing real-time interpreting and in, 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 in getting the whole message across and having the same impact on the deaf audience as you're having on the listening audience to what's being preached. But it's providing access to what's happening in the pulpit. It's providing access to what's happening through the worship. They can engage with it to an extent. But what is ministry? When we normally think about ministry, there's often call and response. There's sharpening. There's growth. There's repentance. There's change. That's hard to do if all of the ministry is one-sided. It's just it's speaking at me. Well, we've talked about several times, even within our own organization, um, that ministry, discipleship, it really comes in five basic phases. Well, we would say the first one is, I will do, you watch, and then we talk about it, we discuss it. And then you move into phase two. I'm going to do, you're going to help, and then we're going to talk about it. Phase three you're going to do it, I'm going to help you, and then we're going to talk about it. Phase four, you're going to do, I'm going to watch, and then we're going to talk about it. And then phase five, you're going to do, she's going to watch you, and then you guys are going to talk about it. Well, there's call, there's response, there's engagement, there's back and forth. There's, there's gauging how much has been learned, what has been understood. There's a conversation that takes place. There's walking side by side, hand in hand. There's, there's a call to repentance. There's accountability. There's, there's, there's joy that gets shared through praying together. Their ministry is so much more than just access to something. Well, you think about this program, God Signs. God Signs... Obviously, the irony that a deaf ministry would have a radio outreach, our radio show is not designed to directly impact a deaf audience. It's designed for you, for those that are listening. But what we're able to do, if you've gone online to godsigns.com and watched the video, is provide access to what's being talked about, to what is happening on the program. But that's not direct engagement ministry with a deaf audience. We have plenty of other outlets that we're able to do that with. So what does it mean? What does it mean to minister well? What does it mean? I mean, how do we really be ready to minister to deaf people? How do you reprove, rebuke, and exhort? How do you have patience? How do you teach when you can't communicate with the people? All of these things driving us back to understanding the value of native language ministry. Because in that mode, 
not only can you say something, you can frame something appropriately. I've often said the problem with a joke when you're going across a culture and you have a translator telling a joke, if you've ever spoken to somebody, to an audience of people and you're trying to tell a joke and the translator's doing it and you feel like oh, they didn't quite understand what I was saying, that wasn't really as funny to them as I thought it was going to be. The problem with that is not always the translation of the joke, but it's how the other group of people delivers the punchline. It's not just the words being signed right. It's how would a deaf person communicate a set of ideas to another deaf person? It's more than language. So all of this drives us back to this need for native language ministry, for engaging a deaf audience with deaf ideas, presenting the gospel to them, not only with the right signs so that they understand it, but in the right way, with the right process so that they might understand it. But let me not delay anymore. Um, all of that uh, really uh, has me excited to talk with my guest today, Josh uh, Bonjour, who is also like me, a CODA, child of deaf adults, and is the pastor of New Life Deaf Fellowship in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome, Josh. Thanks. It's uh, good to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, get to talk with you today, this morning. Um, one of the things that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is you're a child of deaf adults, a coda just like me, but we know everybody has a different experience. So I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit, what was your coda experience like? Are you first born in your home? What, you know, when did you start signing? Uh, who are you as a coda? Yeah, definitely. I would say different. Every every coda has a different experience. Um, so my parents, my mom is hearing. My dad is, I I would say deaf culturally, but he's hard of hearing physically. Um, so th- what that would mean in a car, my dad has enough hearing with a hearing aid, we could talk. Um, but in the context of a restaurant, in general public, um, he can't understand. So Growing up, our our language in the home was sign language. Um, I am the first biological child in my family, um, but I had two older foster brothers who grew up and lived with me my whole life. They're both deaf. Um, I have a younger biological brother who's hearing, and then I have my final last baby brother who's deaf, and he's adopted. Mm. So, yeah, all boys. The dog was a boy. (laughs) <laughs> poor mom. <laughs> Your poor mom. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure this is probably a new uh, idea for a lot of people listening. This thing, well, so hard of hearing, but deaf. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah. How does that work? Maybe you can talk a little bit. What, what do you mean by uh, culturally he would be deaf? He identified as deaf. What yeah. does that mean? Yeah, he would identify as deaf, meaning that our values and the way we operated as a family, the things that we did, followed what the deaf community, what the deaf culture would do. Um, there were restaurants that we would not go to growing up because the lighting was too dim, because we wouldn't see each other sign. Um, so didn't matter how good the food was, how good the service was, mm. we just didn't go there. Um, our friends, our babysitters, um, everybody growing up, they were, they were deaf. Um, our church, my dad was a pastor. We went to deaf church growing up. So even though he could hear, even though he can speak pretty well, he could fool a lot of people, um, functionally, we functioned as a deaf family. 
So when you were um, when you were born, uh, was the lang the language in your home was American Sign Language? Yes, sign language, um, and of course. It's easy to say that I signed before I talked because those motor skills develop. Yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah, so that's that's how it was growing up. I signed and talked, and um, I think I, having a deaf, having two deaf brother or three deaf brothers, um, a hearing brother and a hearing mom, I, I can look back. There were times when I probably talked more than I signed. Certainly, by the time I was a teenager, um, my identity in the deaf culture and understanding my place in the deaf culture, where that fit, that kind of starts started to take over. And, and so that's when mm. I, you know, began to identify myself as a part of that culture as well. So you, you said that your dad was in ministry. Was he in ministry your whole childhood? Did that come later? Um, what, yeah. what kind of ministry would that look like? Um, he was in ministry as far as I can remember back. Um, I was born in 83, and he became pastor of the deaf in 1980 at the church where we were and where I grew up. Um, it started out as an interpreting ministry, started out as uh, he would he was a part of that group, and he would, um, I, I think, I'm not exactly sure, I think it was maybe start out once a month, they mm. would go, they would have a deaf Bible study. Um, eventually, that developed into a full-time um pastoring position to where they were a part of a hearing church, but they had separate worship services, separate Sunday schools, separate everything. So I kind of had the benefit of growing up in that church and then also going to hearing youth activities as well. Mm -hmm. When I was a freshman in high school, um, the hearing church bought a building for the deaf church. And so the deaf congregation moved to a separate um, independent building they functioned as a mission of the hearing church. So that was, I look back, that was when there was a big separation, a big step that took place. Play, there was a big step that took place within the growth of the deaf church at that time. Mm. What do you think that did? Because certainly we've seen, I've seen, you've probably seen this, um, even still true today. In that transition, there are a lot of churches that struggle the, the hearing churches that struggle to allow a transition like that to take place. Uh, what was, where were they at? Do you remember what the, the tone of the conversation was for the, the hearing church? Were they excited about this? Was this difficult? Were... Let me go back to the, a story that my dad always tells into how that ministry even started at mm. that particular hearing church. They were at another church. Um, and the deaf began to want to separate and to have their own worship services and their own Bible studies and, and to really identify more as a separate congregation. And the pastor at that particular church was not happy about it, didn't mm. want to do it. And so that led to the deaf leaving that church and going to another church where, where that would be eventually a possibility. Um, jump to when that church buys a separate building for the deaf, I think the church was very blessed to have a hearing church and a hearing pastor that supported the deaf and had seen the growth of the deaf. God had been really working over the, the several years leading up to that point. Hmm. They experienced numerical growth. They were experiencing spiritual growth. And they were at the point where the deaf were meeting in the chapel um, but they were looking at having to have two separate services because they were just busting at the seams. 
And so the deaf begin to pray, you know, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, we don't want to have two services. Maybe, maybe we can knock this wall down in this next room over, and maybe we can expand the chapel. Um, so what was really funny is the hearing church was super supportive, but when they suggested that the deaf move to their own building, it was the deaf that were like, oh, I don't know, can we do this? This is a huge uh, step for us. Yeah. We're, we're comfortable here. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, they, you know, they, it was a step of faith for them. They took that step, but it was a big deal. Sure. Yeah. You know, there are, I, I engage with a lot of pastors, and we get on this topic, uh, and it goes many different ways. Oh, yeah. Uh, but one of the common themes that I get back is this response of, well, but... God's church is one. Yeah, we should stay together. Ha- have you faced that? I have not. My dad has. Yeah. Um, how did he? How did he respond to that? Well, so often, the biggest fear or the biggest issue with a deaf church or a deaf congregation, a deaf ministry within a hearing church, is they may have a pastor who gets it now. But what happens when that pastor is called someone somewhere else, and mm. a new pastor is brought in? And that new pastor just, it's, he just doesn't get it or he has, he doesn't know yet. And so his vision is let's have everybody together Mm. and let's, let's, uh, you know, at heaven on earth uh, in essence, which is, is great in theory, but Mm. you know, when, when we're still on earth, (laughs) that's that's right. Um, so yeah, there's, it's, it goes to a lot. It's, it's very disheartening. Mm. Like, here we go again. Mm. Are we going to have the same support? And and when there was a new pastor, and so my dad's church was very blessed to have, I think in the time that I was there, only two pastors. So they were both very long-tenured pastors, both very supportive of the deaf church. But the the question is always, when when that pastor leaves, how, how are we, what's the vision going to be? Is he going to understand? Are we going to have to go through this whole education process again? Right. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's funny you say that. that we, we have this I- ideal of heaven on earth, and we forget we're we're still on earth. Yeah, yeah. That there are these natural, that they're just natural things to overcome. Yeah, you know, yeah language, yeah. culture, and how do you instill the truth of the gospel into that? And what's the best way for that? I I end up telling a lot of people, you know, uh, the qualifications for an overseer. I haven't found you know a certain decibel level that you have to be able to hear <laughs> as one of the qualifications you have to have yeah. to be an overseer. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. That's right. Thank goodness. And, you know, for the giftings, you know, to be a uh, an evangelist, a teacher, a preacher, uh, I haven't found that, well, you had to be able to hear to receive a call to fulfill a role in ministry. Well, how well can deaf people fulfill those roles within the structure that your church has set up, you know? Um, we, it's funny, we had, uh, as we were moving in Deaf Bible Society to new offices over a year ago, one of the discussions was office layout and design. And some of our staff were saying, Hey, JR, can we get, you know, because the cool new thing in office is, you know, glass walls, glass doors, yeah, this sort yeah, of yeah. open concept, which is really great. We were using another, uh, partner ministries offices that had that set up and that was fantastic. Until I needed to close the door and have a private conversation, whether it was an HR issue or anything else or ministry, and closing the door, a glass door of a glass office in a deaf workspace doesn't really do a whole lot for privacy. No, it doesn't work. 
And so they were like, oh, we didn't really think this through. So, well, JR, can we get switch glass? I was like, switch glass? Yeah, where you, you tap it and it turns foggy. Or then you tap it and it clears up again. I'm like, do you know how expensive that is? And they say, yeah, but we've seen all these hearing churches, these little churches that will spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on sound equipment to make the guitars sound just right for half an hour once a week. Uh, can't we spend a li-? And I'm like, his argument is extremely logical. It's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, well, we just don't think about things. But we, we want, because we want to usher people into worship and we don't want to have distractions and we don't want to do this, but we forget that even in an interpreted service, as, as wonderful and as good as it is, the way you usher a group of deaf people into worship is just very different. And I, I think a lot of times what's missed in an interpreting service, and, and as you said earlier, it's not it's a very good it's a good thing mm-hmm. to have access. And so this is not a criticism, but thinking deeper in that context, so often when you have an interpreter providing access in a church service, you don't realize the interpreter almost becomes the de facto pastor for the deaf in that mm. service. Because when the deaf have a problem, who are they going to go to? They're going to go to the interpreter who, because they're on stage and because they're the one providing the communication access, they have the linguistic access, they're the one seen as the leader. And even if you and even if you say, let's have a meeting, everything's going through that interpreter's filter. Mm. Whether or not they have the correct theological background, the correct counseling training it's just there's always going to be barriers there mm-hmm. yeah so that leads us to so you are now pastoring uh, a congregation in fort worth and this is a deaf church so the worship the teaching everything's done in american sign language yes. how long have you been there i have been at new life deaf fellowship for 10 years i was there five years as um, associate pastor um, when our uh, pastor was called somewhere else I was for, I guess, about a year and a half an interim pastor um, and then became the full-time pastor. Mm-hmm. will be five years uh, next January. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, are there are there many other – I mean, you're, is it a completely independent deaf church? Totally independent. Um, so if we look at the marks of an indigenous church, mm-hmm. um, usually there are three, three selves are identified. So you'd say self-supporting, self-governing, and self-propagating. So it's the deaf self-propagating that we try to contextualize everything, uh, contextualize the gospel, contextualize our worship within the context of the deaf culture. Mm. Um, Self-supporting, we own our own building, we make the payments on our building, we're not receiving regular outside support from other organizations. And self-governing, our leadership uh, is deaf, and um, so that's what we always try to go to. Um, Yeah, so. So Josh... uh People listening uh, may not have a lot of uh, exposure to deaf ministry. So some of the things we're talking about are pretty new for them, but could also be, and and you and I know, there's so many people who are uh, encouraged, they're excited, they're passionate, and they're saying, hey, well, if there are deaf people on my block, I want them to know the gospel. How would you encourage them? What would you encourage them to think about, even in light of some of the things you and I have been discussing today? You know, sometimes I think about, what can we do? The task seems big. I don't know that I have enough strength or I have enough skill or even enough knowledge to tackle this, but 
we can't forget about the importance of prayer. Um, pray for the deaf person on your block, the deaf person that you just met. Pray for the deaf person that you don't know. Um, pray that they would come to understand the gospel. Um, begin to pray that God would raise up le- deaf leaders uh, who would minister in their own community and among their own people. Um, pray for hearing churches, for hearing ministries, to be able to catch the vision and the understanding of the importance of deaf needs and, and, and deaf ministry, the importance of contextualizing the gospel among the deaf, that it goes beyond just accessibility. Begin to pray that God's Spirit would move among the deaf. Thank you, Pastor Josh. And we'll be praying for you and your people. A deaf church is a very special place for deaf people. There's nothing quite like being on the spiritual journey with others who are like yourself, who use the same language, who have similar experiences and similar challenges. Unfortunately, deaf congregations like Pastor Josh's church are rare. It takes a lot of work and help to get them started and to sustain them. That's why they're usually found only in cities where there's a large deaf population, but the need is great. Deaf Bible Society has a wonderful online tool to help deaf people find a deaf church in their area. Go to deafchurchware.com. Deafchurchware.com. It's absolutely free. This is just one of many Christian resources Deaf Bible Society provides to help deaf people connect with God. But they can't do it alone. They need your help. Please, would you take a moment to go to godsigns.com and make a contribution to this wonderful, hard-working ministry? Your tax-deductible contribution will be of great help to them as they continue to do all they can to help bring deaf people into an encounter with Jesus. Please, and thank you. And now, here's JR with some final thoughts. Prayer is foundational to the ministry that we're in. Um, and I would encourage you, if you're listening, also remember to pray for people like Josh, who are, as I said earlier, they are pouring themselves out. They are sacrificing for the sake of making Christ known among the deaf. Remember our verse from this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because even you, as you're listening, you have a charge to make Christ known in your community. And that could be the deaf person next door. That could be the hearing person next door, the English speaker, the Spanish speaker, the Arabic speaker, the Mandarin speaker. It is up to us as believers to not only profess faith in Christ, but to boldly, publicly profess that faith in Christ by making him known to those around us. So keep praying. And remember, you can text PRAY to 444-999 and sign up for a weekly prayer text with Deaf Bible Society, where you'll get a simple weekly prompt reminding you to pray about His name being made great among deaf people around the world. And remember also that this program, as we said earlier, is made available uh, in American Sign Language. So maybe you do know someone who's deaf. You're listening and you're saying, you know, my cousin, my friend, my coworker, Gosh, they would be really encouraged by what was talked about today. We'll send them the link to godsigns.com where you can go online, you can watch the program American Sign Language, and you can listen to this program again that you've just heard. Share it with a friend. Send it to your pastor that they may be encouraged 
and have a better understanding of how they as a pastor can lead their congregation in ministering to deaf people in your neighborhood. Thank you for listening. Thank you, JR. You know, folks, my family has been involved with the deaf Christian community for more than 30 years. And I can tell you that the people who work at Deaf Bible Society are among the most creative, most dedicated, and hardest working people I know. They're worthy of your prayers and your support. I hope you'll give them both. And remember, the program you just heard today is also streaming right now in American Sign Language on GodSigns.com. So tell your deaf friends about GodSigns.com. Thank you very much, and God bless you. Your neighborhood. Thank you for listening. Thank you, JR. You know, folks, my family has been involved with the deaf Christian community for more than 30 years. And I can tell you that the people who work at Deaf Bible Society are among the most creative, most dedicated, and hardest working people I know. They're worthy of your prayers and your support. I hope you'll give them both. And remember, the program you just heard today is also streaming right now in American Sign Language on GodSigns.com. So tell your deaf friends about GodSigns.com. Thank you very much, and God bless you.